it's me, it's Tom, it's Captain America, the first Avenger. Hope you enjoy the show. It's a good one. Follow at Gmote on Twitter. Follow at the Circuitverse on Twitter. Follow at Rev Almanac on Twitter and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Streaming Circuit, the podcast where maybe we're fun doing and maybe we aren't. What's it to you? As always, I'm your host, Adam, and I'm joined by my buddy, Tom. What's up, Tom? Nothing much. I'm actually prepared this time since you complained last time about how ill-prepared I was for Thor. Did I? What were you unprepared? I forget. I said I forgot which categories were even on your show. This time I have everything up in my notes. Like, I'm super prepared now. Oh, well, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad you took it seriously. Like Dr. Erskine levels here. Ooh, we might have the same pick for one of the categories then, saying his name. Um, as always, we're doing our Marvel crossover, our monthly uh, crossover pod here. We're doing Captain America, the first Avenger, our fifth movie. We're closing in at the end of phase one. Uh, time has flown by. Yeah, we have one more left to go. And then did we ever decide if we're doing like a recap episode after each phase or if we're doing... We're just moving on to the next phase. I believe we had planned to do a uh, kind of a, a phase recap. Okay. Yeah, we want to like keep stringing this out as long as we can, given that Marvel may not have movies coming out here pretty soon, and I don't think we're going to go through all of the TV show episodes and all the other crap that's uh, thrown out there past the Infinity Saga. We might get to the shows. I definitely don't want to do episodes but maybe shows like as a whole we can do episodes would be a lot i i will be glad to do if uh we don't have to do let's see here yeah if i don't have to do what if i won't make you do she hulk oh i want to do she hulk my friend i want to do she hulk fine then you don't have to do secret invasion no, we'll do. Well, no, we'll do all the live action ones. What if? Yeah, we don't have to do what if. Um, we can touch on what if, like, when we get to movies that, like, take some of the elements from what if. Now, do we have to do the Guardians Christmas special? No, I don't think we have to. We can bring that up in like Guardians Three. We don't have yeah, to. I, I suppose that's a problem for four years from now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in in twenty thirty one when we get there. Uh, you haven't seen this, the Christmas special, have you? Yes, I did. Oh, you did. Nice. What'd you think of it? I thought it was interesting. I mean, it's fun. Um, I've had Kevin Bacon did a good job. Outside of that, it kind of felt, I don't know, lack, lacking in substance. It, it felt kind of like me going back and watching the old claymation movies. There's just okay. something that doesn't, it, it's missing some gravitas, if you ask me. I hate those movies. Those, like Rudolph, I hate those movies with a passion. Those okay, awful. so what you're saying is is we need to do a Christmas movie bracket. Oh, that's coming, my friend. Malfrere. Don't worry. This December, we have Christmas movie madness coming uh, with Grant Z from um, Best Picture Cast, Worst Picture Cast, probably a few others that I'm uh, forgetting. So go check those out. Uh, after this but uh, and so who is on the decision committee as to what is or is not a christmas movie 
Uh, we haven't decided yet. We've still got a little bit of time. The committee hasn't fully formed yet. I assume you're trying to, to goat me into the diehard debate. Is that what you're trying to do right now? Well, I just want some consistency in this. Personally, I don't give a shit whether Die Hard is or is not a Christmas movie. But I think there are several other things that if you try and exclude it, that cannot also be Christmas movies. I've maintained that multiple times. And we even talked about it, I'm pretty sure, on your Elf episode on my show. I think we did. Yeah. Um, spoiler alert, Die Hard will not be in the bracket. Okay. Not because I'm leaning one way or the other. I really don't care. I'm like you. I don't give a shit. I just the, the, the argument, I don't want to have. I don't want to have the debate on it. So I'm not putting it in just because I don't want to have that debate. So. Now, feeling after like 40 episodes of BPC that I've listened to over the summer that Grant Z is a likely enthusiast for older or classic films. I think he'll have an objection if you don't put It's a Wonderful Life in. At which point, if That's Die right. Hard is not in, and that is, I will have an objection. You'll always have an objection, no matter what I do. But It's a Wonderful Life, of course, is in. What are you talking about? It's you a can't, Wonderful Life is 100% a Christmas movie. What are you talking about? You cannot exclude Die Hard for lack of being a Christmas movie if you have Wonderful Life being a Christmas movie. The logic does not apply. What is Christmassy about It's a Wonderful Life? There's one sequence that takes place during Christmas. Die Hard takes place at a Christmas party. They have the exact same affiliation to Christmas as each other. So you cannot logically keep one out and keep the other in. They either have to both be out or both be in. I don't care which, but you have to be consistent. Well, first of all, I can do whatever I want. It's my bracket. No, the committee is apparently deciding this shit. We all know. I'm the most, I'm the biggest voice. The oh, biggest so in other words, it's like when we used to do family votes in the Duncan household and Dana said, okay, you can each, all four of you have an individual vote, but in case of any discrepancies, I get four votes total. And in case of ties, I win. I think that's completely reasonable. I think that's fair. Pete Davidson agrees. He was on the committee last time. He agrees. That that's your legitimacy is Pete Davidson. How dare you? Did you see the Suicide Squad? He's the funniest goddamn character. He dies like 30 seconds in. And his dog joke had me crying. It was so funny. (laughs) What are we talking about tonight? What's the movie on deck? We got Captain America. Yes. All right. What do you think of Captain America? The first Avenger. So we're just doing soft initial impressions. You can be soft or hard for it. I don't care which. I would probably put this one in my top 10 personal favorites. I'm not sure it's the top 10 and best personal quality, but it's one that I've always enjoyed. I remember seeing this in theaters with my buddy going back to high school and being kind of enthusiastic about seeing this because this was like, or excuse me, this would have been when I was in college, so never mind. I can't remember why we saw it together because my buddy Ben, who I've mentioned before, I think I mentioned it during our Wolf of Wall Street episode. Like, he's not somebody that will ever go to the theater. And for whatever reason, he went and saw this with me. And I remember seeing it with him because then when they did the trailer at the end for the Avengers, which really seems dated now that they put in all those extra graphics, like, next summer, the Avengers are coming. And, yeah, I mean, to see that now on Disney Plus, 
over a decade later seems kind of weird, but oh well. As far as cutscenes go, that's fine. We all knew it was coming, but it has a special place. I mean, this is one that's been around on cable. It's usually one where, like, if there's nothing else going on, I'll stop and I'll watch. It's easy for me to pick up anywhere in the movie. I've always enjoyed it because I like Chris Evans as Captain America. I think he's by far the second best personality or best character in the MCU in the Infinity Saga. I think behind Tony Stark, he's got a certain charisma that's engaging in this film. And there's at least three really good scene or sequences that we're going to get to. I ranked actually my top five for this. And so when I said I'm super prepared, that's what I mean. But uh, that ha- that I really enjoy going back and watching. And so this is one that, again, I think there are better movies in the overall MCU. But this is one I've probably seen right up there with about Iron Man is probably the second most often. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Um, I found this movie very boring when I first saw it. Um, I didn't really care for it that much. I thought it was really slow and just didn't care for Cap that much and all that. Every time I've watched it since, though, I like it a little bit more. It grows on me more and more every time I watch it. I don't know why particularly, but yeah, it grows with me every time. And I very much enjoyed this rewatch for this pod. And hopefully it continues to grow on me a little more every time. It is nowhere near my top 10 for the MCU. So... I assume there's at least one cap above this one for you. I would say this is probably the third best cap as far as quality, but uh, it, it's, I mean, honestly, there's not a, a bad cap movie for me. No, I agree. like if you're ranking his appearances is, yeah. in the MCU, Ultron's probably the lowest on the rung for me. Lower than Dark World? No, I'm saying in Cap movies. He's not in Dark World. Oh, oh yes, he is, Mulfrayer. Yes, he is, remember? Loki impersonates him, and he's in it for about two seconds. He's oh, in that movie. Well, then I... It's been a long time since I've de- seen Dark World, and I'm trying to prolong putting that off. How dare you. It's, it's a great film. How oh, dare God. You. Um, I, yeah, this is, this is definitely my least favorite of the Cap movies, but that's a pretty high bar. I mean... Uh, Civil War is one of my absolute favorite MCU movies, and Winter Soldier might be the best movie they've ever done. It's the most consistent character series that we've had, and I know we're going to get to it at a certain point, but I think it has to do a lot for me with the writing. McFeely and Marcus set kind of a template and an expectation of what they could do with a lot of these stories, and for adapting a character that was, you're going to have to give him the origin story of being in World War II, it was not an easy lift for them to make, and somehow the character seems engaging. You understand who he is. It somehow translates his kind of greatest generation values into a modern day setting. It allows you to make the leap with, oh, that's how he got to be in the modern day, but he's still from the pre-war era. And so there has a lot of the, the technical quality while also making it a fairly endearing movie. And you introduce a lot of key characters that are going to come up over and over and over again. So whether it was this, they also wrote the other two Cap movies, and they wrote the last two Avenger films. They created a certain level of quality in the writing that I came to expect every time that their names came up. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up Marcus and McFeely. They 
are such a big reason that the MCU worked for the Infinity Saga. They, I think even more than the Russos, to be honest. I mean, these guys, and part of the reason is they wrote all the Captain America movies. Right. They wrote all these characters for so many years. They knew Cap inside and out. And, I, and one of the biggest problems with Marvel now is the writing is just not good because they keep cycling through new writers. They need to get new blood in there and they're just throwing shit at the wall, hoping some of it sticks and, and they're not having the consistency of this writer writes all of the, uh, all of the movies for certain characters and they've incorporated other characters. And hopefully they do that. Like with Shang-Chi, hopefully they keep the same writer consistency, you know, with him and hopefully they start to build that and it will get there at some point. But right now the writing is not on point. And I agree with that. I think it's part of this overall conversation we're having with the writer's strike as well as the actors. But in the conversation, they're much more willing to spend money on all the other production things, the bigger set pieces, the bigger action sequences, than on the primary stuff that I think actually people want in their movies, which is just decent writing. They want the stories to hold up. They want decent actors that are affable, that are charismatic that you can kind of be drawn into and the further on Marvel's gone they've had lesser writing and they haven't had nearly as charismatic of actors in certain roles and because of that it's I would say it's kind of what everybody else is mistaking as superhero fatigue it's the decline of Marvel as an important entity overall because you're no longer allowing people the entrance point that they used to have it's not that you need to know 15,000 things. Yes, part of that is built on a kind of a glass house or a house of cards that's got to eventually come down. But think about how much I've harped on this particular series that we've done so far. Ant-Man, it comes out, it's a heist film. The next Captain America movie is a um, espionage film. Anytime you were able to take one of these stories and place it in kind of a genre movie, and be a little bit creative and novel about how it was being done. I mean, we talked a bit about it on uh, the Dark Knight pod that we did about a month ago. Anytime that happened, you get a much better quality film that people are paying through the nose to go see multiple times. But for whatever reason, they just want to create these cookie-cutter, easily recreatable, quantity-not-quality movies, and it's where the audience is suffering right now, which is why they're both going through this existential crisis the people who are the writers, the actors, the producers, the directors, and the studios themselves that are trying to foot the bill. And I just don't know who's going to win out because ultimately I think us as the audience has to lose. Yeah. I think, I just think consistency is the biggest thing and it's hard to get consistency when you're starting over, you know, like, you know, hopefully they keep, uh, who's the, what's his name? Um, Daniel, Dustin, Daniel Cretton or Daniel Dustin Cretton or whoever okay. directed Chung-Chi. Um, he's directing Kang Dynasty. Okay. Um, so hopefully they keep him consistent with the Shang-Chi movies and eventually we'll get to that point. Like Doctor Strange, they went, uh, Scott Derrickson directed the first one. Yeah. And then they're like, no, Sam Raimi is going to direct the second one. And it's such a different tone. And now the third one, they might go in a different direction because they might panic and think, well, people didn't really like multiverse of madness so we got to go in a different direction and i think that's a big issue with the mcu is it's kind of like a snake eating its own tail that the slightest mishap they're like we have to change everything and like that didn't work so we have to go a completely different direction and i think that's also hurting it whereas this day in the mcu back then 
one minor, you know, I mean, Thor wasn't the best movie. It didn't make the most money. It wasn't that critically acclaimed, but they kept going with it because it was a little smaller than they could afford to. So I am worried about that that kind of... But then you have a situation like Taika Waititi doing Ragnarok, which everybody loved, and then Love and Thunder, which was divisive. Yeah. So you can point to that at multiple points and say, okay, this hasn't exactly worked every time. I mean, theoretically, the director only gives a visual tone to things, but the writing to me is what's truly the backbone of how these stories are supposed to go because you have to create a certain atmosphere with them. Like Cap always had a certain level of quippiness, kind of like Spider-Man in the writing of these films. You always knew there were going to be set pieces to come back to, such as, I can do this all day. Spoiler alert, that will be in my best lines once we get there. I would hope so. Yeah. That wouldn't be good prep if it wasn't. So, but for example, the TV side of things, where I think they have overextended themselves, they've created several different industry problems by trying to just produce it for streaming, and they're actually losing their shirt on a lot of these shows because they're putting so much money into developing them. What's the best MCU show? I think we probably both have the same as the number one. Oh, I think there are two that I would argue. What's yours? I think Loki by far and away is the best TV show that they've produced so far. I, yeah, I was going to say Loki or WandaVision, although the WandaVision finale I thought was awful. So yeah, kinda... it kind of brought it down for me. I would say as far as creativity and how much that caught the attention at the time, WandaVision is kind of in its own B category. And then you have the rest of the shows, which have been kind of like, eh, yeah. So, but Loki is by far and away the best show that I think they've produced as far as a consistency and a level throughout. And they're about to drop their second season here relatively soon, I think. But I think... About a month from the publishing date of this episode, I believe. So, like, early October? Yeah. Okay. I think they changed primary writers between season one and season two. And that highlights yet again the point. Interesting. I I didn't know that. Because they've had the Rick and Morty guys on so much of this stuff recently that just hasn't worked there was a rumor uh this week that uh, thor 5 is now in development but taika's not directing it yeah i saw that too although i don't know i mean you can point to multiple different scenarios where that does or doesn't work uh, i don't know i mean for every james gunn guardians of the galaxy three volumes or whatever you can also have the Ant-Man series, which has been directed by the same guy for three episodes. And that's gotten steadily worse with each one. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm at the point though, where like, I just don't need another Thor movie. Like I'm good. Like let's put him in Avengers movies and just like, I'm good. I don't, I don't need Thor five. Let's just pump the brakes. Well, there's a, there's a going theory that they've basically, forced out a lot of these older characters. So like uh, now that I finally caught up on it, we have star Lord just kind of mowing somebody's lawn on earth. And we have Thor who's just kind of relegated to doing whatever it is he does, but that eventually all of them will kind of reassemble back together somehow in secret wars. And that there may be an appearance of a, a, 
alternate version, alternate timeline Tony Stark somewhere in there? Oh, we're we're getting Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans back. Anyone who doesn't think that's happening, you're insane. You're insane. That's happening. Yeah, of course. Of course they're going to do it. I think we're going to get... We might get multiple Chris Evans from multiple characters that he's played in the Marvel Universe in Secret Wars. You never know. So you're saying he could come back as both Johnny Storm and Captain America? I'm not putting that out of the realm of possibility at all. I think they're going to shoehorn every goddamn Marvel character that has ever graced the screen in that fucking movie. It's going to be... That movie's going to be seven hours long. It's going to be wild, and I don't know <laughs> if it's going to work or not. I mean, they're, I think they're going to go absolutely insane with that movie, and we will see if it works. I don't know. Well, I have no expectations at this point for the Marvels either. It looks fun. I think it looks better than... I didn't like Captain Marvel very much. I think it looks better than that movie. I'm... Sure, I'm I could op- buy that. I'm optimistic. I'm, I'm not a big fan. I tried to go back and rewatch that, and I know we will have to for this show at some point, but that movie, like, just doesn't work. It's too woke. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, you wearing a red baseball cap? No, I'm wearing a Captain America shirt, actually. Look at that. Mm. I dressed appropriately for the pod. Yeah, I don't buy Marvel gear like that. DC get, only. Yeah, oh, oh. I have like 25 Batman t-shirts. Do you have a Blue Beetle shirt? Or are you racist? No, I don't. Racist. You don't support Blue Beetle, so you're racist. I have a John Stewart Green Lantern t-shirt. Well, that's like saying I have I had a gay best friend in high school. Like, well, okay, that's fine. I don't think he was gay. <laughs> I mean, was. he's married with like three kids. Hey, you never know. Don't don't you assume? Don't assume. I'm not assuming. I just said I don't think he was. All right, we've lost the plot. We got to cut that. <laughs> we lost the plot a long time ago. Um. All right, let's jump into the categories here. Uh, where do you want to start? You can go. You can pick. Where do you want to start? All right, so let's consult my notes here. What did I have first? I had best villain down first. So this is an interesting one where I'm going to ask for a ruling. Now, does it have to be? Does it have to be a singular character? Are you saying Hydra? Yes. Sure, you can. Yeah, you can say whatever you want. You ask for a ruling every episode. You, I mean, we can do whatever we want. Whatever, okay. Whatever you feel well, like I mean, you can do. To be fair, the Red Skull shows up in two other films at some other point and has a very interesting role later on in the MCU. But two other films? I don't. Yes. What two? He shows up both in Infinity War and in Endgame. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. Soulstone. I remember. No, I remembered he was in. I, I guess I just forgot he was in both. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Anyway, but I think Hydra is actually the bigger plot device and the more sinister version of this because of how it kind of infects the rest of kind of Captain America and, frankly, Iron Man going forward. I mean, yeah, Hydra is a huge part of the MCU. I mean, all the way through Endgame, it's still, um, you know, still a factor in the time. Yeah. So, yeah, that, I mean, that's a good pick. Hydra's. So yeah. if that is eligible... I'm going to give that a 70% chance. Oh, wow. That's a big number. All right. Yeah, that's that's, that's eligible. Sure. Um, I went Red Skull because uh, he is in two other movies, but I mean, I don't, I think it's safe to say neither of us are going to pick Red Skull as the best villain from Infinity War or Endgame. 
I don't want to jump the horse there, but I think it's safe to say. Um, I went Red Skull. I gave him a 33% chance. He does show back up in a couple movies. Not really in a villainous form, just kind of a like a gardener type person in those movies. You know, very non-menacing, but he's very he has a couple of lines. Yeah, you know, he makes a joke. Or not makes a joke, but he has like a funny wave that I always crack up at. He's just like, I think it's uh, Hawkeye waves at him. He's just like, hi, <laughs> I'm here to kill a one of you. funny wave. It's just so humorous to me. Like he's such, he's supposed to be this like menacing character and Hawkeye waves at him and he just like kind of like gives a, he's like, he doesn't know what to do. It's like an awkward kind of wave. It's, it's funny to me. Uh, but he's menacing in this movie and I think he's the best villain from phase one. I think he's even better, or to this point, I think he's even better than Loki and Thor. To this point. Well, I think okay, Avengers, yeah, to this point, because I was going to say, Loki Avengers is probably better, but... Yeah, Avengers pushes Loki over the top, but at least in the solo films in Phase 1, Red Skull is the best to this point. And he's honestly the best solo villain for a while. At least until Winter Soldier, if not later. But I've said this many times on my regular show, that there are certain people certain character actors like when they show up you know this is going to be a quality film Hmm. hugo weaving is on top of that list anytime he's in a movie it just enhances the movie by another level stanley tucci's like that mark rylance you know those types of character actors i i love um guy who plays uh j jonah jameson oh jk simmons yeah jk simmons is another one i love jk simmons anytime he's in anything He's fantastic. Did you see Mark Rylance in Bones and All? Did you watch that movie? No, I haven't. He is fucking horrifying in that film. You want you want a good Mark Rylance villain? Check that movie out. He is terrifying. Uh, no, Hugo Weaving is great in this movie. I do kind of get annoyed because it wasn't the big reason why he didn't want to come back. Was like he he was he didn't like the the makeup. It's like, dude, you you signed up to play Red Skull. What did you think? <laughs> like, what did you think was going to happen? Um, so well, to be fair, for half the movie, he has like a regular phase. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know. That annoys me a little bit that he was like kind of a prima donna about that. It's like, well, why did you audition for that role? What did I mean? What did you think you were just going to like? I don't know. Anyway, I think he's very I mean, good. Though. As far as like classic franchises go, this is about as good a trifecta as you're going to get. He's in Captain America. He's in the Lord of the Rings. He's in the Matrix. That's a pretty successful career. I really enjoy one of those franchises. Yeah, that's, that's true. No, they're all oh, good. Man. Point taken. I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings guy. I'll be honest. The Matrix, <sighs> miss me with the Matrix. I don't, the first one's fine. The others are not good. It, and Keanu Reeves, Keanu Reeves cannot act worth a damn. He's a horrible actor. But anyway, don't get me started on Keanu Reeves. Okay, yeah, so Red Skull, I gave a 33% chance. I think there's a decent shot he makes the Hall of Fame, but uh, I don't want to commit too, That's fair. too heavily to that. Um, all right, you, yeah. That's fair. You picked that category, so let's go. I'll take the softball. Love interest. Do we have the same one? Yeah, this is 100%. If, honestly, since it's a 10-person love interest list at the end of this pro or project. Um, I don't think the discussion is, is whether she's in the top 10. It should be chances that she's in the top three. My percentage wouldn't change 
for that question either. Yeah. Yeah, it's 100%. And we're, we're yeah, we're in agreement. It's the blonde that he kisses. Oh, yeah, himself, sure. Right? Natalie Dormer? Yeah, okay. Another Game of Thrones sighting. Love me some Game of Thrones. I tell you what, she, I like her in Game of Thrones. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. I like her in Game of Thrones. She's very good. Um, <laughs> of course you did. Um, Queen Marjorie. Long live Queen, Mar- Queen Marjorie. Uh, Peggy Carter is obviously. Anyway, the point being, your newest like love interest, Haley Atwell, I've been on her bandwagon since this movie. She's very good in this movie. She's very good. She's fantastic in this movie. She is no nonsense. She holds him accountable at every turn. And she is a great foil because, honestly, the antagonist in this film is Steve's shortcomings and kind of growing out of the shell that he was in, the scrawny body. Because there's one thing where you can physically become Captain America. It's another thing to be emotionally come Captain America. Well, I think he always was. That's the point. He was always emotionally Captain America. No, you got to have the confidence. I mean, he did. He did stand up to the guy that's like six three in the alley with a trash with a trash. Okay, can. that's pretty confident. Yeah, but he's tripping over himself anytime he talks to a woman. Well, I mean, okay, yeah, he's not James Bond. Now, I mean, I feel his pain. Sure. I mean, if we're doing a contest of who can pick up the most chicks at the bar between the Avengers, he's probably not my first. Pick. Well, no, he wouldn't be my first pick. He'd actually be up there. He's a pretty. He's a pretty no, good person. Thor. I, well, Tony Stark is probably number one. But now, does Chris Hemsworth have the like sheer flowing locks and the blonde eyebrows? Because then he moves down the list. But otherwise, if we're talking just pure Avengers. And it's just the guys picking up women, because I think Scarlett Johansson picking up other women would be in a league all unto itself. It's probably Tony Stark one, just because of all the money. Yeah, he's a good looking cat. He's got a clear level of confidence on top of it. And then you kind of start moving down the list. I would think that Bruce Banner's probably last. For sure. For sure. Yeah, Bruce is not not crushing that. Um Hawkeye is probably second to last, so then it's a split between whether Thor or Cap is second or third. Yeah, it depends which Thor. I mean, if you're giving me Ragnarok Thor, then yeah, yeah. If you're giving if you're giving me Thor Thor, yeah, if Ragnarok Thor is probably two. But if you're giving Thor, me Thor is not doing well either. I don't yeah, think. yeah. Um, what were we talking about? How did we get on that? Love right, interest. Love interest. So Peggy Carter is one hundred percent in the top ten. She is probably going to be at the end of this if we rank them. If she's not number one, she's probably at worst two. Yeah, I mean, your question earlier, top three, I would still say 100%. Uh, it's her and it's Pepper, and it's probably Gamora are your top three, unless... Depend- well, when we get to Ant-Man, I think that's going to be a different in love interest. So that's that's going to place a little bit of an extra f- X factor in all of this. But I understand yeah, the point. I mean, Hope will get in, but I don't, yeah, I don't know. Depending on... Oh, no, no, no. I'm thinking his daughter. No, that's not what we're doing. We're not doing... that. There's a ruling for you right there. We're not doing that. We're not doing family love interest. That's Okay, so then that rules that out. Then yes, there's absolutely no way 
that you top? I think those are definitely your top three. With the ex- with the only exception of maybe MJ could get in, depending on what they do with these next three Spidey mm-hmm. movies, she could get in if they if they really play this up where like she remembers like their love transcends the spell like she might get in. Now, because I have not seen Spider Man associated with any MCU project going forward, is he still a part of the MCU? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Spider-Man 4 is officially in the MCU. I assume because they're making another trilogy. I, I mean, I don't see I don't see okay. why. Well, I put... that was what I was told early on when they did that renew deal or whatever. But I didn't see where any of those were like tied into the timeline of releases for anything Disney was doing. So I wasn't sure where those all were being planned in or yeah. not. I mean, who the hell knows what Sony's going to do? Sony's just a just a walking dumpster fire with that. But it's what is that face for? You think Sony handles it well? Uh, Sony is actually in one of the the better positions right now financially as a studio. Oh, well, I don't care about that. I'm just I'm talking about creatively handling Spider-Man. <laughs> okay. Mess. Yeah, Craven the Hunter. Another Venom movie. I mean, I get the venom; they make money. If they take if they take Tom Holland from me, though, I'm going to lose my mind. Do not take him; leave him in the MCU. I don't know why they just like bring Miles live action and have him be yours. Like that's fine; he would be great over there with Venom. Just leave Tom Holland and Peter Parker in the MCU. Just stop flirting with it; leave it alone. So, best sidekick. Damn it. Uh, Abraham, Dr. Abraham Erskine was my pick. I went with Bucky. I thought about Bucky, but then I thought about what Bucky actually does in this film. And he does save him in the alley. Sure. And then he gets caught behind enemy lines and Steve has to go save his ass. And then he falls off the train to his, uh, seeming death, which obviously we know it isn't, but, uh, seems kind of like dead weight to me in this movie. So I didn't pick him. Yeah, but if you're talking about an affinity for the character and what he means to the main character, they're part of their motivation, I think that has more of an outsized influence than any other characters because Steve's not trying to go out of his way to save Erskine. Um, he's not going out of way his way to like do anything special for Captain Phillips or Colonel Phillips, excuse me. <laughs> he's the captain now. Yeah. So, (laughs) slip of the tongue. Anyway, so I I thought because he's not going to be the best sidekick of Winter Soldier. He'll get a different award for that movie. Spoiler alert. Yes. Although, well, I mean, that's, yeah, that's going to be coming up. So we got got about six months before we get to that one, too. Regardless, and I'm not sure... Would he be the best sidekick in Cap or Civil War? That one's kind of tricky. I think everyone's eligible for sidekick in that one except Cap and and, and Tony. I think everyone's kind of eligible Ooh. for a sidekick. You probably, I, I think we should be able to go Team Iron Man if we want to in that movie. Um, so I would say he's eligible. Okay. Yeah. I th- well, I guess he's eligible. For- well, because it's Civil War, I would eventually ask for a ruling whether or not. Tony could be the antagonist. 
I think Bucky could be the antagonist or the sidekick because he definitely, you know, for parts of that movie is the villain. I think Tony could be the villain. I, Tony can't be the sidekick. He definitely can't be a sidekick. He can be okay. best villain. He, yeah, Tony for sure can be best villain. Okay. And maybe all right, I'll maybe hold you Cap to should that. Should be best villain too if you're on Team Iron Man, like some of us are. But that's fine. But if, but if that's going to be the case, then there's no other place to nominate Bucky. And I think that given his outsized influence and notoriety within the series as to what he means for Cap, you got to insert him somewhere. So I went seventy-five percent chance. I totally respect that, and I understand that uh, mindset. I definitely thought that too. I went Erskine though, and I went 40%. I mean, he's the reason Cap is Cap. I mean, without Erskine, Steve is just still a, a skinny dude in Queen or uh, uh, Brooklyn um, for a long time. So, Well, and theoretically, he also is the reason that Bucky becomes the Winter Soldier because they give him some of the same formula. Yeah, and he's, you know, he... Um, you know, is the reason for civil war for Zemo. He's able to get all those super soldiers and, and their start. He kills Tony's parents. Fucking Erskine. Wow. He's the villain, villain of the MCU question mark. No, but he could be the origin point. Uh, are they still doing super soldier stuff? I feel like we've seen super soldier serum used recently in the MCU. I feel like they're still. Yeah. I want to say there's been a couple of other instances. Um, did taskmaster use it in uh, black widow? I don't know about that one. It definitely was in um, Falcon and Winter Soldier. With uh, Well, that I remember. Uh, Tech, Taskmaster might have been. I don't know. That movie. And wasn't it also like something they were kind of toying with in um, Secret Invasion? Kind of. I mean, well, yeah, because Fury cropped. Yeah. Well, I know the direct linkage at the end of that series, but I'm talking more of there was something else in there that they were kind of oh uh, well it was super scrolls anyway. i don't know uh, there's probably some connection i don't know that show kind of infuriated me <laughs> so i uh, uh yeah okay <laughs> can't wait till we get to that show tear that fucking thing apart um but yeah dr abraham erskine you know stanley tucci fantastic great addition to the mcu love him i thought he was great he's very funny and he gives steve the, the serum so he got my pick i gave 40 percent. that's probably a little high but I, I looked back through my notes and my sidekicks pretty low percentages. So I was like, I'll give this one high. See what happens. Fair enough. Um, all right. What have we done? All right. So we have that one, that one. I'm going to talk. I think I only have best scene and best lines yet. Uh, we have best action sequence too. So okay. best fight slash action sequence. Not There isn't a ton of action in this movie. So if we're going... For that, it's probably between two things for me. So I'll kind of preempt the best scene here. I had five as the World's Fair, which is when he finally gets in contact with Erskine and he gives him his clearance to go into the military, that sort of thing. I thought that was actually a fairly well done sequence. Four, I had the boot camp because I love the scene where he takes down the flagpole. It's just an ingenious thing that, of course, nobody else thought of that. Three, stopping Schmidt, so the end of the film. I think that's going to be in contention for best action sequence because it's one of the most heavy versions of that between the fights in the, I guess, what do you call it? The hangar bay of all those miniature planes that are going to do the individual cities and blow those up. 
And then you have finally his final duking it out with the Red Skull itself in the cockpit. I think that is got to be up there. Two, I don't see that there was a huge action sequence in rescuing the 107th. It was kind of Steve sneaking in and then blowing the place up kind of. So I don't know if I would put that necessarily in the, the best action sequences. And one for me, as far as the best scene is probably transformation, which is when he turns into Rogers. And then you have that great moment where he's running after the car and he chases down the submarine. For me, that's going to be my best action sequence because it gives you so many things visually of what the character is capable of. Now that he's become captain America, he runs at this ridiculous pace. He, can't even stop himself turning on a dime because he's now running at this unbelievable pace. He can swim underwater and kind of go after a submarine and pull guys out of it. I mean, he's all of a sudden become this just superhero in a way that is clearly different. And so I thought actually that was the best representation of somebody getting their powers and then immediately having them on screen to give you that visual cue of what they're actually capable of now. That is a great scene. I would. I didn't have that on my list for action sequences, but it is good. It is fun to see him, you know, become Cap and chase him down and everything. And he saves the kid, and the kid's like, "Don't worry, I can swim." I, I always laugh at that. It's such a such a stupid cheesy line that you would get from World War Two. <laughs> it's like read all about it. I can swim. Um, but and it's funny to me the power scaling that happens with Cap, like in this movie. Toward when him and Bucky are trying to escape and he like bends the, 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 the bar with like all his might. And then two movies later in his franchise, he's like pulling a helicopter. No problem. He's just like, I got this just curling a curling a chopper. So it's funny to me, the power scaling that happens. Um, I action sequence. I went train. I think it's a cool, it's a cool okay. set piece, how they zip line in and everything. And also it's, it's one of the most important scenes in cap series because it's Bucky's kind of origin story is the winter soldier. Um, and we, and I didn't know cause I don't read comics. I had no idea when I saw that I was like, Oh shit, Bucky's dead. And then we, I see a trailer for winter soldier and they spoiled it. And I was like, wait, what the fuck is this? I watched that dude die and now he's back. So that was, that was crazy to me. I was like, what the, what are we doing? It was kind of like Gandalf showing up in the second trailer for towers in the Lord of the Rings series. I'm like, that dude fucking died. How did he come back? It's kind of before I learned the rules that nobody's ever really dead. Right. Yeah. He came back with the Elder Wand and, was, and like banished Voldemort from. <laughs> Just kidding. I would never disrespect Harry Potter. Lord of the Rings, I might a little bit. But uh, I'm a Hobbit guy. I like the Hobbit movies more than the Lord of the Rings movies. I know that's sacrilegious, oh. but like, I don't know. Oh. He's just a bunch of, bunch of hobbits walking through the forest. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's just like, it's like 12 hours of just walking. Can we do something in these movies, please? <laughs> I take it you like the Lord of the Rings movies. You're a fan. Yes. The first one's the best one. I like the first one by far the most. I don't know if you agree with that or not. It used to be my least favorite. It's really grown on me in subsequent years. I know there are many critics that think it's the best of the three. I find it very hard to interchange which one is the best because they're so interlocked with each other and so complementary. 
I really have a hard time separating any one of them. It's why I suggested to Kieran for BPC that he has to do all three of them for when they get to Return of the King as the Best Picture winner of 2003. Yeah. Because it's kind of an award for the entire franchise. That is for sure. It is definitely an award for the entire franchise. Much like Denis Villeneuve might get for Dune 3. Let's pump the brakes. Now, I am very trusting of Denny. Like, he is one of the best directors alive. But I want to at least be certain that Dune 2 is good, if not great, before we start talking about whether Dune 3 is going to be the crowning achievement of the next five years. I don't even know if they're doing a Dune 3. I hope that, I hope they keep going. Apparently there's enough material in that book they could. Uh, it's the worst book I've ever read. I got 90 pages in and quit. Like, it is awful. <laughs> that book is so horrible. It's unbelievable. I Because I watched the movie first, and I was like, I want to read this book. It is awful. No one read that book. It It is just a miserable time. It's apparently very dense. I've never tried reading it. It is taxing to read like three pages. I had to like stop and and get a drink because it was so just. That sounds like me with the East of Eden. All right. So yeah, I had the train sequence. I gave the train sequence 15%. I don't think it's much of a chance, but it's importance to Bucky and everything. I think gives it a a puncher's chance. As far as the transformation, if I got to put a percentage on it, I mean, there are some really good action sequences in this that have yet to be realized. Like, we're going to get to Battle of New York next time. That's going to be up there. There are plenty of other ones that you could probably nominate. I I don't know if I'm buying this as having a huge chance, but I'll go 20% on the transformation. It's going to be important, I think, come later movies, that we each pick a different action sequence so we can get two, you know... Probably so can get yeah. two shots at the apple because like Civil War has about five of them that are better than anything we've seen yet. Well, how do you pick best action sequences of Infinity War and Endgame? Difficultly. Well, Endgame, there's there's multiple ones in Homecoming. There's multiple ones in Guardians. There's multiple ones. I mean, yeah, it just starts to double up. Black Panther. Two or three. Yeah. The end, the end one should not be in there. I don't know if you're including that, but that should not be in there. Okay. Um, all right. So now yeah. we have left best line, best scene. So we're in best scene. So why don't we just do best scene? Keep going. So I already gave you my rundown. I have transformation yet as the top one just overall. I still think that's the best. It's the moment where if it was on cable, I would just be like, oh, they're getting to this part? Yeah, I'm going to stop and watch. Hmm. It is a great scene, and I and I really love it when Peggy and everyone's like yelling at Howard to stop, and you just hear Steve, "I can do this," because um, it's such a great play on "I can do this all day." Like he doesn't have to say all day, but it's just like I love when he says, "I can do this," and it's it gives me chills every time. Um, so that scene was on my my kind of nominees list. I had the alley fight, um, kind of gives you, you know, Steve's character, his ethos. Base training, which I love that uh, that sequence. Pre-op drinks with Erskine, I think, is a really great, subtle, quiet moment. Star-Spangled Man montage, I get a kick out of. I'm a big musical guy. I It's a ridiculous scene and, and somewhat stupid, but I enjoy it. The train sequence, and then I have Capsicle, um, kind of the end when he's flying the plane and he's talking to Peggy about dancing, and then he becomes a Capsicle. Um, my best... My, Best scene in the movie, I had bass training. I love the sequence 
from the minute he gets there and Tommy Lee Jones is cracking jokes and which by the way, Tommy Lee Jones is the best part of this movie. Full stop. He is so funny in this movie. I love him. Uh, he's cracking jokes all the way through kind of leading up to the, the drinks with Erskine. I think it's a great sequence. Like you mentioned, the, the flagpole, um, all the guys picking on him. Um, it's just a great sequence. I gave that a 20% chance. Okay. I can buy that. Yeah. All right. And yours was, did you have a different percentage or same percentage for that? One? No, I'll just give it the same 20%. I mean, that seems kind of like a default where you think they, that it's got a, a puncher's chance, but you don't want to go very high because there's a lot still coming afterwards. I mean, certain categories, I think you can easily move the barometer a lot higher or lower. Obviously, love interest, there are very few comparative to some of these other movies where it doesn't change. Like, as far as cap love interest, even though Civil War and Winter Soldier don't really have them, I would still say it's kind of Peggy in the background one way or the other. And it's the same with Pepper in any of the Iron Man movies. So that doesn't really change nearly as much as best villain is probably going to change or best scene. So the the percentages are just going to have to be lower for the outside chance of giving us some leeway when we eventually have to create the rankings. Yeah. Well, he does have Sharon in the next two movies. Okay, who is the niece of his actual love interest? It's only weird if you think about it. It's 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 it's. I, I really don't think it's that weird. I think people make too much. It's too not big that weird if you I, go like in any direction for where I, I'm currently residing. No, that's not the same thing. That's uh, you're, 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 you're making, <laughs> no, you're making an incest joke. It's not the same thing at all. He's not related to either of these people. And uh, uh, look, we're gonna get to a question later. You know, I'm gonna save this. Because I have a question in our questions and hot takes segment. I have a question about this, so we're going to save it. Uh, best line, though. I think we both agree a 100%. I can do this all day is the best line. I mean, Yeah, it's and it will 100% be in the top 10 best lines at the end of this. Yeah, it's. I, I, I think it's probably 100% to be top three. I, it's, it's not better yeah, than it's, Iron Man, but it's... No, it's right but there. if we're talking about lines that will eventually come back and be in the top three, I could probably already call that these are going to be the top three. I am Iron Man. Avengers Assemble. I can do this all day. Yeah. Oh, you're missing one. You're missing a big one. Okay, what glaring one am I missing? You pulled the hammer off, mate? Oh my god, that's disgusting. Come on, the, 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 the Korg, the Korg line, come on, with the hammer, it's so funny. It's a piss off stupid ghost. Like, come on. Korg, yeah. Korg is going to be That's more likely to be in the top 10, but it's not going to be in the top three. Want to hop on the Wi-Fi, mate? Oh, Thor, he's back. The main kid's back. The Korg is... Must preserve Korg. We know each <laughs> other. He's a friend from work. It's so, it's so good. It's so good. Um, but here are the other nominees from this movie, because um, obviously I can do this all day. It was going to be it. Here we go. We got Tommy Lee Jones' character. You brought a 90-pound asthmatic onto my base. I let it slide. Thought he might be useful to you, like a gerbil. is fantastic. Um, Erskine, good becomes great, bad becomes worse. Kind of a thesis statement, and it comes back in Falcon and Winter Soldier with Walker. Kind of, you know, he, he was bad, so he became worse. Tommy Lee Jones again. You and I are going to have a conversation later that you won't enjoy. 
Red Skull, arrogance may not be a uniquely American trait, but I must say you do it better than anyone. And then, oh, I hit that one. Yeah, that's that's so funny to me. Uh, Steve, because uh, Red Skull says, what makes you so special? And Steve says, nothing. I'm just a kid from Brooklyn, which I think is a really great line. Which <laughs> does come back. Yep, yeah. Uh, and then Tommy Lee Jones, when they're racing after the plane, when <laughs> Cap kisses Peggy. And he looks at Tommy Lee Jones and he's just like, I'm not kissing you. And just, Tommy Lee Jones is throwing a million miles an hour in this movie. This might be my favorite performance of him of all time. He's so funny in this movie. I, I love him. We needed more of him in the MCU. We got to go. We got to do another World War II piece. We got to get him back. Theoretically, you could be eligible for like expanding upon that and just doing a TV series where it's just Cap taking down all of the Hydra bases. Because they just kind of skip over that. I think that actually could work. I mean, it has no additive quality except that it would just be a procedural episode thing where they're just blowing up Hydra bases, but could be cool. Well, yeah, She-Hulk didn't have any additive uh, stuff either. So We're just giving away TV shows, yeah. Let's, let's get Tommy Lee Jones back in the crowd. He can be like the stage manager for the Star Spangled Man show and he'd just be pissed off the whole time. God, I need <laughs> that shit up. Give me three-hour episodes. I'd, I'd love that. So a few that I had that you didn't have. Do you want to kill Nazis? Is this a test? Yes. I don't want to kill anyone. I don't like bullies. I don't care where they're from. Sums up Steve Rogers in one sentence. Hmm. Erskine, so many people forget that the first country the Nazis invaded was their own. I like the historical context of that. Uh, I have the conversation at the end between... Steve and Peggy. I'm going to need a rain check on that dance. All right, a week next Saturday at the Stork Club. You've got it. Eight o'clock on the dot. Don't you dare be late, understood? You know, I still don't know how to dance. I'll show you. Just be there. We'll have the band play something slow. Heartbreaking. Yep. Um, Peggy and Steve, you can't give me orders. The hell I can't. I'm a captain. And my last one, which seems so much like my father, that it's kind of scary. The moment you think that you know what's going on in a woman's head is the moment your goose is well and truly cooked. Gotta love Dana. Shout out Dana, friend of the pod. Um, those are all good ones, yeah. Can he actually give Peggy orders? What is Peggy's rank? His what's cap- his rank? He's like a metaphorical captain. Yeah, but even real captains, like actually aren't that high because in top gun maverick everybody shits on maverick because he's a captain but she's just an agent and that's the thing that doesn't even make any sense she's just an agent somehow in the army is she in clandestine services then why is she running the boot camp nothing about that makes any sense as far as what her position and rank actually are yeah i don't know i guess he can give anyone orders he's captain america but yeah we both agree I can do this all day. Easy. Slam yeah. dunk in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's wrap this up uh, here with some any questions or hot takes. You got any? So can anyone be frozen for like 80 years and it makes sense? Or is it a unique quality of somebody who's taken the super soldier serum because their healing properties allow them to stay in hibernation while being frozen? This is a great question. And it's a ridiculous premise. And it doesn't make any sense. It's it's Captain America and Han Solo. Apparently, are the only two that can be frozen and just be fine. I 
No, Han Solo and multiple other beings could be frozen in carbonite in a galaxy far, far away. But that's a different story entirely. Yeah, I suppose. Um, well, I don't understand why he didn't die in the plane crash. Because he just, like, he literally crashes into an iceberg. And it's like, well, you know, sure, I guess if he's frozen, he might be preserved. But he's going to be in little bits because he crashed a plane flying very quickly into an iceberg. So... I have a problem with that. I don't know. I, I guess maybe Super Soldier Serum. I also have a, uh, my question. My first question coincides with that completely. Why couldn't he just jump out of the plane? We've established many times over the MCU, he can jump out of planes and be fine. Why couldn't he just jump out of the fucking thing? And also, would they be able to detect roughly where he is in order to, like, save him? Couldn't he swim? That's true, because they didn't find him for, like, 70 years but they found the tesseract just fine yeah. It, yeah did that have some type of radiation signal that it was giving off that it made it easier for that to find well, the yeah, question the, is yes because that's answered by avengers but you yeah, get my point yeah the infinity stones do send that radiation but um well they also didn't know that though they didn't know this was an infinity stone like marcus and mcfeely which i highly recommend for everyone if you've seen these movies a bunch of times and you like the MCU, which I don't know why you're listening if you don't, go watch the director's commentary on the movies that the Russos directed and Marcus and McFeely wrote, which is Winter Soldier, Civil War, Infinity War, and Endgame. Watch the director's commentary on that because they take you way behind the curtain and it's awesome. But they talked about how they didn't know this was an Infinity Stone when this movie was made. It was just, uh, it was just the MacGuffin of the film. And then retroactively, they went back when infinity war came out or Ultron or whatever. And we're like, Oh shit. We like have one right there that we could use. We could make an infinity stone. Um, so they didn't even know that when they wrote this. So no, that's not an excuse. I don't know at all, but that, that doesn't particularly make sense to me. The other big glaring flaw in this, really, you're going to keep the only copy of the formula in the lab with you. And you only have one vial remaining. It, it is so ridiculous that they go to such lengths to be secretive about the entire test itself. Then they allow a ton of people into the room that are unauthorized personnel that they don't really like thoroughly check beforehand. And they are only keeping one copy and the entire written formula is never written down. It's only in Erskine's head. So if he has a heart attack or chokes on a chicken bone at any point, you're fucked. Yeah, bad planning right there. Not 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 good. Not good administrative skills there. I don't know what we're doing. I mean, if you've seen Oppenheimer, you know that was not going to be possible. What a good film. Oppenheimer. So good. So good. Oh, you didn't like it, though. You were, you were like, yeah, it's fine. What? You're like, ah, oh, Dunkirk's better. It was fine. Okay, that's a different conversation. No, you hated it. You hated Oppenheimer. That's your that's your take. Yeah, because everything is binary. You hated Oppenheimer. That's fine. Everyone has bad. Everyone <laughs> has bad takes. That's fine. Um, you hated Barbie. I hated elements of Barbie. Overall, I liked it, but I did hate. Oh, Barbie. so there's nuance now. No, fine. I hated Barbie. But you hate Oppenheimer. I hate Barbie. <laughs> fine. Yeah, that's that's a fair a summary of the arguments here. Except Michael Sarah, what a treasure! What a treasure! Protect Alan at all costs. Um, my big question here: Is Cap a virgin when he goes into the ice? 
Yes or no? Uh, yes. What makes you say that? It would seem out of character for him to just have a fling. Well, he's definitely a virgin. Like it's, one, it, it's one thing for him to kiss another woman where he's not really doing much. He's just letting her kind of kiss him. It's another thing entirely for him to, you know, especially given that by the time we get to Ultron, he's already saying things like language. Okay, well, first of all, we'll get there when we get there. He's 100% not a virgin by Age of Ultron. It is 100% not. But he's definitely a virgin. Okay, who did he have sex with then? Black Widow. You, you cannot watch Winter Soldier and tell me that they did not bang. You're out I of can, your goddamn mind. And I will. You're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. We're, we're getting ahead of ourselves again. Anyway, I just don't see who he would have banged. I think he could Unless he was, like, taking Bucky behind the woodshed, you know. Well, hey, I, that, I just That's an interpretation, and I'm perfectly open to that one. That would be fine. I, he's definitely a virgin when he becomes Captain America, because he's in the limo and he says, this is the longest conversation I've ever had with a girl. Which, you don't have to talk to a girl when you do that, but it would be helpful if you could. That'd Again, be to be fair, girl. if your argument is, is that there's a possibility he could be bi, then he may not have been even by that point in the conversation. We're assuming that he's exclusively into women. So for the sake of this argument, let's continue to assume that. Sure. Yeah. I think I think him and Bucky are a definite possibility. I won't say no, because we never see Bucky. Uh, well, I guess we do in Falcon Winter Soldier. Anywho. Um, and he does chase after him, kind of like a lover at times. He, he runs very fast for Bucky. I'll just say, put it that way. Um, but I think, I mean, I think there's two possibilities. Obviously, Peggy. I don't think I don't think anything happened, but they could have fun, dude, fun done. They could have fun done, and you know they fun didn't. And Queen Marjorie, I mean, look, mm. if Queen Marjorie, that's a stretch. If Queen Marjorie wants it, Queen Marjorie gets it. Okay, that's all I'm saying. So I don't know. I think it's a question. I'm interested in. It. You know, She Hulk brings it up, so I don't know. I mean, look, Hulk said that. Hulk, like, Hulk admitted he's not a virgin. So at some point, canonically, we know he gets some. The question is who? Is it Wait, just Peggy? Wait, where did that happen? In She-Hulk, remember? It's like the very end of the first episode, the episode that Hulk is in. They're, dr- they're getting drunk at the cabana or whatever. And she brings up that Steve Rogers is a virgin, and Hulk says, no, he's not a virgin. And then oh. she goes, Captain America, fuh, and then it like cuts off before she says fucks. So we know canonically he did. Well, but obviously, it was given that She-Hulk is after Endgame, where he went back and had a life with Peggy, I think it's clear to assume that he must have consummated at some point there. I think it's also more likely that he also banged Sharon at some point. But I, I'm going to argue that he did not bang Black Widow. Just telling you that now. I can't wait for that episode. That's going to be a 30-minute segment. I am going to... We are going to lose our minds on that one. Well, we're um, already working on an hour six. <laughs> we haven't gotten through yours now. True. Well, I had to kill a spider, so that took a minute. Um, all right, yeah. And my, I got a hot take. I got a hot take for you. I think you'll enjoy, and I can kind of touch on more in your pod. This, is, okay. this movie is the Kirk Cousins of the MCU. It's good. It's fine. Like, there's nothing bad about it. 
but it's nothing that anyone's going to be like, like very few people are ever going to be like, I really want to watch a Marvel movie tonight. Let's watch first Avenger. But on the other um, hand, on the other hand, if someone suggests it, no one's going to be like, no, I don't, that's, I don't want to watch a movie. That's not a good movie. Like it's just kind of exists. It's there. It's fine, but it's not great. It's not terrible. It's Kirk Cousins. Now, mind you, I say this fully aware that, uh, as a Packers fan, I am in no way scared of Kirk Cousins. I have never been scared of Kirk Cousins. But I do think, given what he's accomplished, he's at least a little bit above replacement level. Like, I think this movie is a little bit above replacement level. I'm trying to think, what is the replacement level MCU film? Probably Ultron. Uh, I don't know. I like Ultron more than most. I would say more like... Well, which one do you like more? Ant-Man and the Wasp or Quantumania? Which one are you more down on? I'm more down on Quantumania. So probably like Ant-Man and the Wasp is like replacement level. It's like if you, you know, like... If you gotta watch um, it, if you gotta watch it, you're not gonna be upset, but it's like you're not, you're definitely not gonna pick it. I suppose, I mean, it's not among the worst ones. It's definitely not among the best yeah, I suppose that would be about the the median point. I mean, if, yeah. if you're talking MVP of the MCU, that's a much different conversation. But uh, yeah, I could buy this as being kind of the Kirk Cousins level MCU film. Sure. You know what we should do next month? For our phase one recap, because I think we're going to beat Marvels. Because I think there's been 32 Marvel MCU movies. We should we should do that project. We should We should assign each MCU movie... One of to a starting, quarterback? One of the starting quarterbacks in the league and argue why it is that. That would be fun. That would be stupid, but it would be fun. That would be its own episode, though. That would be great. Um, current starting quarterbacks? Yeah. So, we're, I mean, we're throwing, like, Sam Howell and all that shit in there. Oh, God. Oh, oh, Sam Howell? Garbage. I mean, if it's Baker Mayfield, we're talking Baker Mayfield maybe Dark World? I'm okay with that. I'm a Baker guy. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm good with that. He got a raw deal in Cleveland. Um, they've won one playoff game in a billion years, and he was the reason why. And they ship him off for a guy who hasn't played in 20 months. Anyway, all right. I think that wraps up my part of this <laughs> crossover. Would you agree? That's fine for me. It's not my show. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's good. Anything you want to get off your chest before we head out? Anything Captain America related, non-Captain America related? It's good to see you. It's good to see you too. Did you want to talk about Barbenheimer yet? I thought we had talked about talking about it. Sure. Yeah, we could talk about Barbenheimer. We're off the rails anyway. Let's let's go for it. Sure. Okay. So which one would you like to start with? Um, Let's go Barbie. Okay. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun and funny. It's not a movie that I think I would really ever need to see again. It was something where it was interesting and it was fresh in the perspective. But unfortunately, Hollywood's taking all the wrong lessons from it yet again. The reason we all flocked to see it was because of the people who were involved in the project, who all believed in the message of the film, which is this one product represents kind of a stereotype of women that they can never be. And so we'd like to upend the status quo and poke fun at it. 
not we need a Hot Wheels movie and a Polly Pocket movie and a Magic 8-Ball movie and an Uno movie. None of that fucking makes sense. I can maybe extend that, like, it would make sense to do a Magic 8-Ball movie where you could make it like a horror film. Oh my God. But that's about it. You're the second person who's told me that. There is no chance in hell that Mattel and Warner Brothers are making a, a rated R horror movie about a kid's toy. It's just not happening. I'm sorry. It's okay, not but you can make it a horror comedy. It, that is not happening. That, no, we need stop it. Stop it. Bad, bad. You can make it like Freaky Friday, but every time that you go back to it. <laughs> or maybe the movie Big. What are we doing? Just, what are you talking about? <laughs> You're just naming movies. Yes, I am. But you create you create a modern version of Big, except this time that the small, tiny kid who's like 13 doesn't get to bang the 30-year-old, which is still creepy. And uh, yeah. instead, the movie is just based on he can't turn back into a little boy until the magic eight ball says, uh, ask again later. Anyway, wow. yes, okay. I enjoyed That's Michael Cera in the movie. I enjoyed a lot of the cameos that were a part of the movie. That being said, is it the most special movie? Is it the one that reclaims feminism for all time? No. But I don't think that was the point. Well, I mean, I think that, I think that was the point. But I, look, I like Barbie. No. I thought it was a, a funny movie. Michael Cera is brilliant. Margot Robbie does a great job. I think Rhea Perlman was the best part of the movie. I would love to see her get nominated for Best Supporting Actress. I thought she was that good. Mm. I I thought the messaging, though, was just way too over the head for me. Like, like every, it felt like the entire script just had one word, feminism. And it was just like Greta Gerwig saying, we'll just talk around it. Like, we're going to use that word and just talk around it. The, like, every scene and every line felt like it was just bashing you over the head with that. And I understand it's an important message. And I think America Ferreira's monologue was great. And I think Rhea Perlman did a great job with that message as well. At the end, I loved the line where she was like, you know, mothers stand still so the daughters can see how far they've gone. That's, that's great. And that messaging is awesome. But I just think it was just, it took away the effectiveness when every single line is just a woman saying how tough it is to be a woman. It's like, I get it. But can we, can we have a different line in the movie was my problem. Okay, I guess I can understand that critique. I mean, a lot of this was really surface-level obvious feminism. I thought that the people who enjoyed it felt seen because they felt reminded of all the things that they know to be obvious but wanted somebody to actually give voice to. So I, I can understand where you're at. I think part of the difficulty for me why it wouldn't be one of my favorites or something that I go back to is it just was never really intended for me. I mean, yes, I went out to a theater and it's for movie lovers and that sort of thing. And to be frank, I really enjoyed seeing everybody in the pink cosplay and being a part of that Barbenheimer weekend and the fervor of everything that was going on with it. It was also the first time I've seen an active moment in a movie where somebody just clapped or cheered, which was after the America Ferrera monologue. Since I was in the theater for Endgame and like everybody cheers when everybody comes back and you, you know, the scene where, yeah. Yeah. So everybody's come back after the snapping. And so, uh, it was fun to be a part of that. But that being said, this was not something that 
was supposed to appeal to me. Like, I have no idea what it is to be a woman. I mean, I can secondhand appreciate, third person appreciate what that is or is like, but it's not something that I'm ever going to be intrinsically tied to. So it makes no sense that this movie would be for me. So I can enjoy it on its excellence. You know, I enjoyed Gosling. I enjoyed some of the writing with it. I enjoyed the novelty of it. I enjoyed Margot Robbie. But it's just not something that appeals to me in the same way as some other stuff. But I did find it refreshing, and I will be happy if they never make a sequel. Yeah, I mean, getting back to the Mattel stuff, that's insane, what they were talking about. Like, all these movies, like, what are we talking about? It doesn't make any sense to me, though, that they're not, that they mentioned all that, but they're not talking about a Barbie sequel. This movie's going to make, like, $1.4 billion. And like, oh, we're probably not going to make a sequel to this, but we could do a Hot Wheels movie. How could you possibly make a sequel to this? I'm not saying they should. I'm just saying it surprises me that they're not trying to do that. Because a movie that makes this much money, it's it's almost like a dereliction of duty to not make a sequel. It's like, it's because it's a business. I mean, we can say creatively they shouldn't, but like it's a business. And sure. It will be the highest grossing movie of the year. Full stop. E- easily. It's, yeah, it's going to, it's going to blow past Mario. Um, I, 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 I did love, I thought Greta Gerwig did a great job and the musical number in particular, the beginning with the Dua Lipa song, which I can't yeah. remember the name of. I thought that sequence was fantastic. The choreography, everything she did with it. I really want her to direct a musical. I want to see her do a Broadway adaptation. Sure, I could I buy think, that. I think she'd crush it. Um, just, yeah, the script for me, I don't know. It was just over the head. So yeah, I don't know. Barbie, I thought it was funny. I liked it. I thought Greta Gerwig did a great job. The acting was awesome. I just, the messaging to me at, at times was overbearing, but it was a fun sure. movie. I'm sure I'll watch it again. Um, and I, I hope it gets nominated for Best Picture. I really do. Because I want big movies at the Oscars and this will get people to watch. So I really, I don't think it deserves to be there, but I really hope it does get there. Well, that's a discussion that I think my dad and I are going to end up having this week because we're going back to the first Oscars with the movie we have on schedule this week. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this. I've talked to Kieran about it multiple times on uh, our show, but the first Oscars actually had two different awards for Best Picture. It was Most Outstanding Picture, and it was Best Unique and Artistic Film. So basically, you had one where it was Best Picture Large Budget Scale and Best Picture Low Budget Scale. And I think that if you had had that maybe last year, you have everything everywhere all at once still win best unique and artistic picture, but then you probably get Top Gun Maverick as best yeah. overall production budget or best high studio budget production, that sort of thing. If you were to take that this year, this would probably be in the running for that along with like Oppenheimer and Dune. And then you'd get some of the low budget um, indie film stuff for the secondary thing. I actually think it serves both audiences to separate those out because having the big studio budget films compete against the small indie darlings doesn't make sense. They're trying to accomplish two different things. And instead of making it best uh, or most popular picture as the way they phrased it the last time, if you just separated it based on what your budgeting was, I think it creates a better understanding of what those two things are trying to accomplish. No, I think that's a fair point. And then we have to give a third category for Indiana Jones because that budget was astronomical. So that's like it just bur- it just blasted through every barrier we've got. And it's just like, we're going to give all the money. We're going to lose all of it. Um, that being said, 
the fact that the second and fourth highest grossing, at least to date, films of the year came out on the exact same weekend is just unfathomable. It is pretty crazy. Um, Oppenheimer is the highest grossing film to have never achieved number one. That is that is a, that is a fun stat. Um, that is a fun stat. So, Oppenheimer should win Best Picture, at least at this point. There has not been a better movie. Than Assuming none of the other major players are going to be released, probably. I don't think I can argue with that. I would be very happy to see that as the final Best Picture winner, even if we still get anything that was released for a festival, because Killers of the Flower Moon, I think, is still going to come out. But Marty's already got his award, and Leo's already got his award. So let's give all the awards to Chris Nolan and finally let him have his Oscar. I mean, he's only been nominated for director, I think, once, and that was for Dunkirk. I think so, yeah. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon is definitely coming out. I don't see any way it doesn't. And that's definitely the biggest competition, I think. I don't know if Dune 2 is going to quite get there. Um, I. It looks like Maestro is also going to be released. Maestro is definitely going to be released, although I have heard that Netflix is not that high on it, that Netflix doesn't think it's uh, it's as good as Bradley Cooper thinks it is. That's the scuttlebutt right now, that Bradley Cooper thinks he directed like a masterpiece, and Netflix is kind of like, eh, we're not so sure about that. Um, yeah, but we've seen what Netflix's taste is before. So I'll I'll rely on a guy who's a multi-time Oscar nominee over Netflix right now. True power of the nap. Am I right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I really want Nolan to win Best Director, even more so than this to win Best Picture. I want Nolan to finally get his Best Director. He deserves it. He's, for my money, he's the Best Director going right now. Um, I, I think he deserves it. I want him to get it. He detonated a goddamn nuclear bomb for this movie. Give it to him. It's, it's This is the best movie of the year so far, and it's not close in my opinion. I think I'm with you on that. I think this is probably my number one film of the year at the moment. I still think if we're ranking Nolan films based on their just sheer quality, I still think Dunkirk was a better movie, but it's by degrees, not by like huge margins of any stretch like i think he's created some of the best films of this millennia if you're talking about his rushmore being pretty much everything since the year 2000 with the lone exception being his original first film which i loved i just recently saw it so now i i've seen his entire filmography even through oppenheimer i mean i'm not high on memento but there are a lot of people that are but throw in inception the dark knight maybe Interstellar, Dunkirk, and this. And you have five, maybe six of the top 200 movies, uh, American movies probably, of the the uh, new millennium, or at least of the first 23 years. Oh, easily. Top 200? Easily. Yeah. I mean... And I'm not sure who, is, as far as receipts, could probably beat him. Yeah, I don't think anyone... Um... Uh, Oppenheimer, I think, is his best movie, in my opinion. It's not my favorite. I still, The Dark Knight, I still like more. And I still like Interstellar more. Like, if you just ask sure. me which one I want to rewatch. But I, Oppenheimer is so good. Um, and Killian Murphy absolutely crushes this movie. He's unbelievable in it. I really hope he wins Best Actor in a potentially unbelievable field. I mean, you're looking at Leo is probably getting nominated for Killers. 
Cooper will probably get nominated for Maestro. It's going to be a pretty big field, and I think Murphy deserves to win over all of them. I haven't seen him yet, obviously, but. Yeah, obviously, we haven't seen a lot of this stuff to come out yet. I actually think Best Supporting Actor might be the bigger landmine field this year, and for me, Downey probably is the current favorite. God, I hope he wins. I said, uh, so Kieran came on my pod for the Oscars this year, like he does every mm-hmm. year. And I called it back in, in March. I said, if Robert Downey Jr. is in Oppenheimer enough, I think he's going to win supporting actor, just like Jamie Lee Curtis won supporting actress. Is it going to be the best performance of the, of the year? After seeing it, it very well might be. But I think it's, yeah. a big, it's a big name that people want to recognize and want to see give a speech and just want to, you know, for everything he's done, because obviously he's never going to get recognized for Iron Man in that capacity. So it's like we right. need to recognize one of the biggest stars we've ever had. Let's give him an award, and I think he's going to get it because of that. Yeah, I think it's reasonable to expect that. I mean, Gosling's been up for a lot of awards before, but I just don't see him winning for Ken. We, 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 if they didn't give it to him for La La Land, they cannot give it to him for Ken. I'm sorry. It, it can't happen. And also, he should be lead actor. I don't know why is he not lead actor. I mean, he because I think it, it's the the lead performance is primarily Margot Robbie, and so they're setting it as that being the only primary or lead character. I hate that. I hate that. That's category fraud. He is the le- he's the lead actor in that movie. So then, so then the lead actress in Oppenheimer is Florence Pugh, or Emily Blunt. I think Emily Blunt is the lead actress in the film. Yeah, I mean, look, Boy, I, I, she's a she's a supporting role, though. I mean, I I'm all for trying to minimize category fraud, but I'm not sure I have as much of an issue with Ryan Gosling being in the best supporting actor race as opposed to best actor. I mean, I see your point. It's just not that big of a deal for me on this one case. I mean, I would argue he has more screen time than Margot Robbie. I mean, I didn't have a stopwatch, but he's in it a lot. He's in the movie quite a bit. He has a whole. But at the end of the day, he still gets his Doja Casa house. Uh, His Mojo Dojo Casa house. Casa house. Thank you. Um, But yeah, I mean, look, I don't think he's going to win either way. Supporting actor is the best chance of getting nominated. I don't know if he'd get nominated for lead actor anyway. Um, I mean, supporting actors is, or excuse me, supporting actor is usually a really stacked category anyway because there are a lot of great supporting roles for men so i mean that might be a harder entrance point anyway i mean it wasn't last year necessarily but that was one of the rarities as opposed to the trend yeah you get a lot of great nominees and you get judd hirsch full spectrum i roast judd hirsch by the way in an upcoming episode um in the tom cruise movie madness winning episode uh, I go in on Judd Hirsch, tell you that much. Fucking abomination of a nomination. Okay. It's ridiculous. Anywho, um, any other thoughts on Barbenheimer? No, I think I'm pretty good. I mean, I enjoyed both of them. I'm going to probably revisit it multiple times as the year goes along because we've got a lot of other big films coming up yet that we'll be comparing them against. But they're the leaders in the clubhouse as far as this is the front runner and 
everybody else is going to either need to live up to this or you're not going to be a part of the conversation or you're, you're going to need to perform at this kind of level. I think there's a acceptance among the general audience crowd, given how many people have seen both of these movies, let alone just one of them, that that is going to be likely. And I do think that the Oscars will actually benefit somewhat from raised viewership, given the performance of both of these movies, if they're both a major part of the ceremony itself. Which is why I want Barbie to get as many nominations as possible. Cause, uh, cause despite what some people think ratings do matter. And if, if no one watches the Oscars, guess what? The Oscars are not going to continue or if they do, it's not going to be nearly as important. So I do hope they both get there. Well, we'll we're probably never getting to the level of importance that it was during the 70s, 80s, and 90s again. It's just not likely. But can we at least have something that people know what the best picture winner is? That would be nice. Hasn't happened in a while. That would be nice. No, I I thought some people, at least for last year, kind of knew and had seen the best picture winner. I can't say that for many of the other years before it, for... At least know. a number of years, but I mean, I think people in the in the bubble knew everything ever all at once. But I mean, my family and my friends here, no one knew what the hell that movie was. No one even knew what they were talking about. They're like, "What the fuck is this movie? Everything ever all at once? What is that?" Like, it was a couple hundred million dollar movie. I didn't think it was that small comparative to like Coda, no Green I mean, Book, uh, comparatively Nomadland. Yeah. Well, look, I don't want to disrespect The Shape Coda. of Water. I, I want a great deal of money betting on coda so i like i i'm i'm okay with that one winning (laughs) like the last time that we had a major film that was in the part of the consciousness that was up for best picture we had la la land we had gravity and we had the social network and all three of them lost well top gun maverick last year come on that was huge it was enormous okay no one really thought that was actually had a chance of winning well, we'll agree Except to, you. We'll agree to disagree on that. But well, Social Network. Don't even get me started on that one. Preposterous. So I'm coming back on for the uh, Revisionist Almanacs 2010 Awards Show. Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, we have Kieran coming on for that one. That's actually the pilot episode, the first one we're. Ah. Uh, he's a he's a big King Speech guy. Ooh. And I am not. So that'll be fun. <laughs> I can't okay. believe we gave an Oscar to that babbling idiot. And that stupid movie over Jesse Eisenberg <laughs> and one of the most one of the most prescient movies in the history of cinema. But that's fine. You know, whatever. It's it's fine. Let's give that stupid movie an award. Anyway. OK, it's getting late over here. So why don't we wrap up my pod so we can get over to your pod <laughs> before I have to go to bed here? It's getting late. All right. So where can they uh, where can they find you before we head out? What are you and what are you up to? So find part two of this particular series for the evening on Greatest Movie of All Time podcast. And uh, we're available on all major streaming platforms and even a bunch of the smaller ones as well. So come check that out for part two where we're going to be doing the Stan Lee rubric. All right. Yeah, go check it out. A lot of great episodes over there. Um, The best ones that I've listened to so far, um, off the top of my head, I'd say Interstellar. Elf, Wolf of Wall Street, hmm. Dark Knight. I'd say those are probably the best episodes you've done. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're all great, though. They're all great. Um, 
but you go check that out. And, uh, and that's going to do it here for the streaming circuit. Thank you for listening. And remember to save more schnapps than you think you should. Thank you.